Hello, this is Pastor Lana Davis. Thank you for joining me for our podcast. We'll be studying Luke chapter 9 tonight, and I'll be reading from the World English Bible. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach God's kingdom and to heal the sick. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staffs, no wallet, nor bread, nor money. Don't have two coats each. Into whatever house you enter, stay there and depart from there. As many as don't receive you when you depart from that city, shake off even the dust from your feet for a testimony against them. They departed and went throughout the villages, preaching the good news and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was very perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, I beheaded John, but who is this about whom I hear such things? He sought to see him. So we see Jesus' influence and popularity is growing. His disciples are have now been commissioned to carry on his ministry. And God provided whatever they needed, including power over demons and disease. And so those that received the disciples were blessed. And those that would not receive them were going to be judged for their hardness. The disciples then were sent for a purpose, and God accomplishes his purpose. So their testimony was either going to testify to the people, or it would testify against the people when God judged. We see the fame of Christ. Uh, Possibly it was bolstered by his disciples also ministering in his name, but somehow it reached all the way to Herod. Remember, Herod had beheaded John, but... When he heard of this, he hoped to see Christ. And as we continue through the book of Luke, we're going to see that he finally has an opportunity shortly before Christ's crucifixion. Let's go to verse number 10. The apostles, when they had returned, told him what things they had done. He took them and withdrew apart to a desert region of a city called Bethsaida. But the multitudes, perceiving it, followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them of God's kingdom, and he cured those who needed healing. The day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and farms and lodge and get food, for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we should go and buy food for all these people. For they were about five thousand men. He said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about fifty each. They did so and made them all sit down. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to the sky, he blessed them, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. They ate and were all filled. They gathered up twelve baskets of broken pieces that were left over. So we see the disciples return from a powerful ministry, praising God for all that he had done through them. And so Jesus takes them away to recuperate. But when they tried to escape, the crowd found them. And remember, now they're trying to escape. But when Jesus sees them, there's he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't turn them away. Because what we find consistently is that our Lord responds to people that are seeking him and are willing to draw near to him. And so he he teaches the crowd and heals and And it goes throughout the day and late into the day. And so finally, the disciples come to try to encourage him to wrap up service and to send the people away to get food. So Jesus' response to this is to tell his disciples to feed them. 
And they say, well, that's not possible because we have so little and the need is so great. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We feel that way sometimes. How could five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 men? Now, you have to wonder, though, did they forget that he had given them power over demons and sickness and they had come back praising God that he was able to do all these things through them? And so that same power still resided in Christ and it was still available to them. So Jesus blessed and he broke the food and then he broke the food and he broke the food and he broke the food and he continued to give food and to give to the disciples until there was enough to feed the multitude. And then after everyone had their fill, the 12 disciples who had, I guess in a sense, doubted before, gathered together 12 baskets of leftover food. There was a basket for each of the disciples. Uh, Verse number 18, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the multitudes say that I am? They answered, John the baptizer, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. But he warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and the third day be raised up. He said to all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his own self? For whoever will be ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there are some of those who stand here who will in no way taste of death until they see God's kingdom. So this starts saying one day Jesus was praying alone. And if you study the Gospels closely, you'll find that Jesus praying is often an introduction to a pivotal moment. So when the disciples came to him, he asked who the multitudes thought he was. Now remember at this point, Jesus hasn't openly revealed or declared himself yet. So there are a lot of theories. There were rumors that he was a prophet risen from the dead, perhaps even John. And so Jesus then takes this question and made it more personal. Who do you say that I am? And this is really the most important question that you can ask yourself. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you know him to be? Peter boldly declared, well, you are the Christ, which means the anointed one of God. And Jesus commanded them to keep this secret for the time being. He warned that eventually he was going to be rejected and killed, and then he would be raised up the third day. Of course, as he's telling this, this would have been a shock to the disciples, The Christ they were believing for was going to be a national deliverer and a conquering king. And so Jesus warns them that it's not going to be just like that. So be careful who you're telling all this to. It's not like how you conceived. Not only was he going to die, but he said his followers would daily take up crosses and follow him. Following Christ required a denial of self. You had to be willing to lose your life to gain life. Quite literally, some of his followers would die in the same manner that he would. 
And so he didn't promise to deliver them from from every test or from all tribulation. He simply reminded them that nothing is worth losing your soul over. Anyone that would cower and be ashamed over Christ would find that he would be ashamed of them when he returned in glory. And then he told them that some of them were going to see the kingdom of God before tasting death. And this is an intriguing statement. What did he mean by seeing the kingdom of God? Well, we see in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is used to speak sometimes of like what we think of as heaven. And so maybe he was saying, like we see in the book of Acts, Stephen, as he's being stoned and dying, he gets a glimpse into heaven before he dies. And so maybe he was saying some of them were going to be martyred, but they went in that process, they would get a glimpse of him and his glory, and it would give them the reassurance and the strength to make it. I'm just speculating here. Or the kingdom of God can be used to speak of the power of God, particularly the coming of the Spirit and the new birth. For example, in John 3, Jesus said you had to be born again to enter the kingdom. And then before his ascension, we see it's referred to as power. The, the disciples asked when he was going to restore the kingdom. And Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Paul kind of picked up on this theme when he wrote to the Corinthians that the kingdom was power. In Romans, he wrote that the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And so maybe he was speaking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost or the power of God that they would experience uniquely when the Spirit was pulled out. And and he said, some of you, because Judas was no longer with them on the day of uh, Pentecost when they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. Um, also, it's possible, and in context probably likely, that he was preparing them for what was about to transpire. The The phrase, the kingdom, uh, can also be translated as like royal splendor, something to that effect. And so three of the men that were there were about to see the glory and the splendor of God in a very unique way. Whatever the exact meaning, uh, to summarize Jesus' teaching, following him is going to cost you. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to deny yourself. It can be very difficult. Some would even lose their life and go through tribulation. Uh, That's a possibility. But what's certainly true is that in the end, you're going to receive glory for it. Verse 28, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up onto the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became white and dazzling. Behold, two men were talking with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As they were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he said these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered into the cloud. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. When the voice came, Jesus was found alone. They were silent and told no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. So we find again, Jesus is praying. The disciples are sleeping. They're not praying with him. And then as they awaken, they see Jesus transfigured. He's shining. He's white. He's dazzling. He's been joined by Moses and Elijah. And they are speaking of his crucifixion that's to come. 
And so Peter doesn't really know what to say. And so he says, well, let's just make three tabernacles here. And right here, you can stay on this mountain. And as he's saying this, all of a sudden, a cloud appears, maybe like the glory cloud in the Old Testament. And it settles on them, and then a voice thunders from heaven, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And, and then it's over. And then it says they were silent. I bet they were. I would bet they were scared to death. And then once again, though, we find after this, when they leave, they don't tell anyone immediately because it wasn't the time yet. It wasn't appropriate to share this glorious experience. Verse 37, on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great multitude met him. Behold, a man from the crowd called out, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Behold, a spirit takes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it convulses him so that he foams, and it hardly departs from him, bruising him severely. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they couldn't. Jesus answered, Faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him violently. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. They were all astonished at the majesty of God. But while all were marveling at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man will be delivered up into the hands of men. But they didn't understand this saying. It was concealed from them that they should not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. And so they're coming down from this glorious experience, and they're met by a father and a demon-possessed boy, and his disciples, who had remained below, hadn't been able to cast the demon out. And so Jesus gives a stinging rebuke. This generation is faithless. And then afterwards he said, let these words sink in. I'm going to be delivered unto men. And so they weren't going to be able to depend on him to always perform all the works of God for them himself. The disciples didn't understand uh, or and didn't ask for an explanation at this point because they were afraid, probably because Jesus was aggravated. Uh, he was frustrated, and so they just kind of sat silently and, and marveled. I do like that Luke in verse 42, he says that Jesus delivers the boy, and then they're astonished, and he describes what Jesus did as the majesty of God the things that Jesus did. I think, again, that's Luke's commentary, looking back and recognizing that Jesus was truly the mighty God incarnate. Verse 46, an argument arose among them about which of them was the greatest. Jesus, perceiving the reasoning of their hearts, took a little child and set him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For whoever is least among you all this one will be great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. Jesus said to him, Don't forbid him, for he who is not against us is for us. It came to pass when the days were near that he should be taken up. He intently set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face. They went and entered into a village of the Samaritans so as to prepare for him. They didn't receive him because he was traveling with his face set towards Jerusalem. Remember, the Samaritans um, had a long history 
with the Hebrew people and the Jews, they worshiped in Jerusalem. And this was a point of contention because the Samaritans had their own uh, temple and they didn't worship on the same mountain as the Jews. And so when they find out that Jesus is going there, they don't receive him. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from the sky and destroy them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them. You don't know of what kind of spirit you are, for the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. They went to another village, and as they went on the way, a certain man said to him, I want to follow you wherever you go, Lord. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but you go and announce God's kingdom. Another also said, I want to follow you, Lord, but first allow me to say goodbye to those who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is an interesting section of the gospel because it exposes how unqualified the disciples were. First, he declares that they lacked faith. And then they didn't understand that to be great in the kingdom... You were measured by your service for others. The greatest would be the least. They didn't understand this most basic of kingdom principles. And so then they're corrected again because they had tried to stop some others from ministering in his name because this individual wasn't part of their chosen group. That seems a little petty, doesn't it? And Jesus said, no, don't do that. They're for us if they're not against us. Then they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. It's everything they touch they're doing wrong right now. They're messing it up like a bull in a, in a uh, china cabinet. And, and so Jesus said, you don't know how wrong that spirit is. I came to save the world. And so he said, your spirit's wrong. Your actions are wrong. It's just not a good day to be among the twelve. But they had one thing going for them, and this is their outstanding feature. They didn't quit. They had sold out and followed him. Clearly, they often didn't understand him. Sometimes he was surprised that they didn't understand. They were rebuked publicly and privately, and yet they never quit. The The contrast is clear when we read at the end of this of men that expressed a desire to follow Jesus or were called to follow Jesus and yet they begin to list all their reasons why they couldn't actually be faithful at that moment. They had good intentions, but just not right now. And of course, Jesus says, no one that looks back is fit for the kingdom. A large part is simply being available and willing to follow the Lord. So let's pray that we will be faithful to the Lord in the mountaintop experiences and the glorious times like the transfiguration or when the disciples were coming back after casting out all the demons. It's easy to be faithful in those times. Let's pray that we're faithful in the glorious times as well as the difficult times. Whenever uh, we have to be corrected or whenever we're asked even to lay down our lives and take up our cross and deny ourselves, that we would just be Jesus' disciples through it all, whatever season of life. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you. I
pray that your word would find lodging in our hearts. Help me, Lord, to be a better disciple, a better follower of you. I pray that I could have a, a clean heart, Lord, that my spirit would be right, that my hands would be clean, that I would do your service, that I wouldn't be easily offended, Lord. Help me to be your ambassador to represent you. I pray the same over everyone listening to this podcast. I pray that we would endure to the very end and be saved and give you glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. God bless. Music.